Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. It's the weekend, and this is your DSR Daily Bonus Brief. I'm Grant Haver. And I'm Chris Cotnor. Today, we're joined by Catherine Grothy, a research analyst for the Middle East and North Africa for Freedom House. Catherine, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. So the World Cup is about to kick off in Qatar, and it's bringing renewed scrutiny on the tiny country. Freedom House currently describes Qatar as not free with a score of 25 out of 100. Can you give us a little more context about the description and life in Qatar? So I think, you know, that's exactly right. Qatar has a pretty poor track record when it comes to human rights broadly. For our uh, report, Freedom in the World, which is an annual survey of political rights and civil liberties, Qatar ranks not free, as you mentioned. And this is largely because while the citizens are some of the wealthiest in the world. The population largely consists of non-citizens who really are not afforded the same political rights or civil liberties as Qatari citizens. And with the World Cup being hosted here, of course, international attention is kind of focusing on these rights abuses, largely, as you mentioned, like the poor treatment of migrant workers who really played an integral role in kind of the preparation for the World Cup as well as other discriminatory policies against the LGBT plus population, um, as well as women. And while the World Cup has really kind of shined a light on these abuses more recently, unfortunately, these problems aren't new. And I think, you know, rights groups have been sounding the alarm on these abuses really since, I mean, before 2010, when I think Qatar won the right to host the World Cup. And Unfortunately, in this last decade, uh, we really haven't seen much of an improvement. If anything, actually, I think Qatar's Freedom in the World score has declined since 2010. So that means that people living in the country actually have fewer political rights and civil liberties. Catherine, can you talk a little bit more about the migrant worker situation and, you know, generally why they use so many migrant workers, what their lives are like, and the deaths suffered throughout this process? Migrant workers make up around 90% of the workforce in Qatar, and many are from South Asia, and they're really constrained by the country's sponsorship system. So it's known as the Kalapa system. And this is a sort of labor visa sponsorship system that exists across uh, much of the Persian Gulf countries, as well as I think Jordan and Lebanon. And it basically gives employers like total control over migrant workers, including their wages, their ability to travel, their immigration status, and just doesn't include many protections. So this is kind of the context in which these migrant workers are existing in, in Qatar as well as other countries. And of course, this has existed for a long time, but with the World Cup and the massive infrastructure that needed to be developed, I mean, I think the government spent billions of dollars just building hotels, a new highway, the stadiums, expanding the airport. So there are millions of migrant workers who are use, being used to work to construct these projects. And 
They're working in really grueling conditions, long hours, very unclean living situations. And as you mentioned, there's also been a number of deaths in the lead up to the World Cup around construction. I think it was in 2012, last year, when The Guardian reported that over 6,000 migrant laborers had died during construction projects. And the government has really done next to nothing to provide any transparency around these deaths or provide any remedies um, financially to the families of those who have died. And I think it's also important to note that, you know, a number of rights groups, Human Rights Watch, Amnesty, and other local rights groups have called on FIFA to also share some of this responsibility and you know, provide some of these financial remedies to the families of these migrant workers who largely depend on the resources that they're sending back home. Can you describe how their government functions? Like, how is it set up? Yeah, so Qatar is um, kind of led by a hereditary emir who basically holds all the power in the executive and legislative kind of authorities, ultimately controls the judiciary, the security forces. There are not you know, national elections as we would know them in the states. I believe the only elections are for an advisory municipal council um, and certainly could not be considered for your fair. Political parties are also not permitted. So it's an incredibly like closed political society where citizens may have some say in these municipal elections. But again, given that most of the population are non-citizens, they are not able to have really any kind of sway or buy it into the political system. This morning, I listened to a podcast talking about how Qatar is essentially trying to control what journalists can and can't do, what the world will see and won't see. There was a Dutch journalist that was threatened to have his camera broken. And this journalist that I was listening to was simply taping a, a camel procession. And, and so I'm just wondering you know, how they're going to control that, what sort of penalties would there be? I mean, if the world is watching, you know, how, how, how can they control everything, basically, is my question. I think some of the phrasing is you're answering your own question there, and I think it's all about control, control of the narrative, control of the media. You mentioned the case, I think it was yesterday, of um, like a Danish film crew who was threatened by authorities and they had their valid press accreditations, but I think this is really like a clear indication of the government's incredibly kind of like tight hold over the media. They want to paint this picture, you know, as the world's gaze turns upon Qatar. And in reality, I mean, the country has essentially no independent media. You can go to prison for criticizing the government. So this is kind of the background of like what the media landscape is. And I think ahead of the World Cup authorities are really like further limiting this press freedom. They're imposing very tight restrictions on all sorts of broadcasters and media. I was talking to someone actually today who was saying that media journalists are not even allowed to talk to locals. They have to get like special permission from the government to be able to speak to people from Qatar. And I imagine that this is part of trying to control this narrative, make sure that despite what we already know about, you know, the ongoing human rights abuses that they can kind of keep a hand on what's being presented during these next couple of weeks. Don't you think things will get out, though? They can't possibly control every single piece of media. Yeah, I think that that's probably fair. I mean, we the reason we're having this conversation is because you know, the human rights abuses, uh, the history, 
of repression in Qatar is pretty well known and pretty well documented by these rights groups. Often they're based outside of the country. Again, and this is because, you know, that kind of organizing, that kind of criticism is pretty harshly, harshly criminalized or penalized in the country. So, yes, I do think it's going to get out. It'll be interesting to see if there are more cases like we saw yesterday with those like threats or harassment of the media. There have been conversations around protests. The Danish team is going to wear special kits that protest the World Cup. The U.S. is are using their pride logo because of how Qatar is anti-LGBTQ. Should we expect a crackdown on protests at the games or people who are just attendees? Should we expect jailing or anything like that? Or is that a bridge too far for them and a bad look? This is interesting. And, you know, I don't want to speculate too much. But there have been statements from authorities who, you know, have said we are going to welcome everyone who comes, regardless of your background, regardless of your religion. Um, I think this is often when they're prompted with the question about their um, criminalization of LGBT plus. So we'll have to see. I think technically the Constitution has some protections for assembly. However, once again, these are only awarded to citizens, so I don't think that they would be awarded to people who are traveling to Qatar for the games. But also with this international spotlight, I imagine that authorities will be on their best behavior, so to speak. What is the possibility of opening up in the future? Is there anything that is potentially going to happen? You know, protests, we have a lot of eyes on this, maybe more money supporting rights groups on the ground. Any chance that this could change? It's hard to speculate. Like, of course, you know, we've seen Qatar opening up to investment, opening up to businesses. In terms of even just the World Cup, right, this is kind of this like soft power way of building up Qatar's standing, not just in the region, but in the world. I think this is a step towards opening up. Is it a good step? Is it maybe highlighting some of these abuses that could get the international community or other countries to put more efforts on the government to call for meaningful change, to call for the release of political prisoners or activists or journalists who are arbitrarily detained? I think that's what in an ideal world could come from it. Will that happen in practice? Like, will the games wrap up and then everyone will? turn their attention to what's next, possibly. What do you think was the motive for them? I mean, besides the obvious, but with the world watching over the next 29 days, you know, they obviously went to great lengths to get the World Cup. What's the end game? Are they trying to sports wash? I, I, what, is the, yeah, what, is the, what is the end game for them at the end of the day? I was going to say sports washing is this term that I think has gotten thrown around a lot. And it's basically countries with, you know, at Freedom House, what we would consider the not free, partly free countries, usually with more authoritarian regimes or poor human rights track records, kind of using these major events. It could be the Olympics. It could be the World Cup. It could be the climate conference that's happening in Egypt, you know, to, like I said, elevate this sort of soft power, show, you know, either a regional or a global kind of standing. So I think that's part of it. 
again, we kind of saw this like when China hosted the Winter Olympics, or I think, you know, it's mentioned when Russia last hosted the World Cup. I think that's part of it. And then, of course, there's, you know, the financial part that we can't ignore, right? FIFA is going to make a ton of money off of this. It's going to bring a ton of people to Qatar who are going to, you know, spend money there, may want to travel there again. So I think that that, of course, is another aspect is the financial part. What are you looking for over the next few years in Qatar? Are you watching specifically women's rights issues? Are you watching what's going to happen to them after the World Cup? Like, what is it that you think we should be paying attention to? Well, I think first and foremost, and this is short term, is that, you know, FIFA in tandem with the government need to pay these financial remedies to the families of the migrant workers who have died. I mean, that the fact that that hasn't happened yet is really, really frustrating. Uh, So that's the first thing. And then kind of more like medium to long term. I mean, I think one thing that's really interesting is this kind of idea, and we didn't talk about this much, but the kind of digital rights aspect in Qatar and as we see in kind of in other Gulf countries, you know, this idea of like building up, like we call them smart cities, right? So it's just like pervasive surveillance online and offline kind of under the guise of either making life more easy or also like with kind of national security in mind. But these end up like these tools end up having really grave human rights impacts, not just, and this is also pertinent to the World Cup, like in terms of privacy, in terms of data protection. I think that this is something that we are seeing across this region. And it will just be interesting to watch, especially with the World Cup. I mean, I know that this is sort of a tangent that everyone who goes, participants, players, everyone will have to download this mandatory app and register, put in all their personal information. And a number of rights groups have already done kind of their like due diligence on it and shown that there aren't like sufficient protections or safeguards. There are really concerning like geolocation tracking parts of this app. That data could then be requested by the government or monetized. So this is another thing is kind of as we're moving, you know, continuing to move into this digital world where human rights are both intersecting online and offline, seeing how Qatar is potentially you know, following in the steps of Saudi Arabia, the UAE that have these incredibly sophisticated surveillance systems that really kind of like lend a hand to their human rights abuses offline. So I think that's something also that we'll want to continue to watch. That's all the time we have for today. If you have a tip, topic, or correction you'd like to flag for us, please email us at podcasts at the dsrnetwork.com. Every week before these bonus briefs, we ask you about the questions you have in our member Slack channel, so join us there to be a part of that discussion. Thanks to your membership for making conversations like this possible. Have a wonderful weekend. We'll see you on Monday.